And I want to read a verse to you before we get started this morning. This is going to come out of Isaiah 66. Let me read this verse. I want to tell you something before we pray. Isaiah 66. So let me say this. We have, a, we have quite a bit of visitors um, to Grace Community Church this morning. Praise God. Praise God for that. We mean that. And I just want to encourage you that we're here. We are gathered together in the name of Jesus and we want to exalt Him. We want to worship Him and we want to hear Him speak to us. And so I just want to encourage you with this. We know that we do things a little different here. We know that. Um, we are not the most polished church on the planet. And I just want to encourage you, don't, don't be thrown off by maybe the way things are done being a little bit different. And I just want to encourage you what we're going after here. Okay? Isaiah 66, verse 2. Isaiah 66, verse 2. God says, All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And that's what we want to be the type of people that we literally tremble when we think about the King of glory, our Father in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ speaking to us. We want the eyes of God to look upon us and we want to be a people that tremble in God's presence at God's word. And so we say... Let other churches be known for being polished and professional. We want to tremble at the words of God. Okay? And I want to encourage you, don't let any, any of the things that are different distract you from hearing from God today. What we want to do in a few moments is we want to read the Word of God, and then I want to teach the Word of God in such a way to where everybody in this room is leaned in and saying, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. So this is what we're going after. Past few weeks, we have started a series on the book of Genesis, and today we've made it to Genesis chapter 2. So go ahead and turn there this morning. And we're about to pray, and we're about to ask God to use His Word in our life. And here's what I want to encourage you to pray with me, is that we want to ask God to carve out a moment for every person in this room that there would be this moment where they would hear something from God's Word that they know is, is, is not for their neighbor. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Where God speaks to you from His Word in such a way where you say, oh, that was for me, Lord. You are talking to me, Lord God, from Your Word right now. We want to ask God to do that. We want to ask God to do that for every person in this room. Do you know right now that there are people in this room that are bored with God? They don't, they don't necessarily want to hear from God. Do you know that God can still speak to them? He can arrest their attention by His authority and with His Word. We want to call on God and ask Him to do this. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we come to You this morning in the name of Jesus and we stir ourselves up, Lord, with zeal. And we call on Your name today and we praise You, God. We praise You for saving us, Lord. We praise You for Your glorious Gospel. God, we remember today, God, that there is nothing like what You have done for us in Jesus. And we bow down and we worship You today for what You've done. We are saved because of what You've done for us, Lord Jesus. And we don't merit any of it, Lord. We are unworthy. So we bow down and give You praise. And we gather together in Your name today, Jesus, and we ask You, in all of Your authority, and all Your mercy, and all Your love for us, Lord, come speak to us. Come speak to Your church today. God, open our eyes. God, open our hearts 
to, to, to hear from You and to receive Your words. Holy Spirit, we ask You to move today with power and with authority and with compassion. And that You would, Lord, that You would carve out a holy moment and allow us to linger over Your words. And that You would use them in our life, Lord, for Your, for your profit, God. That you, would make, that You would make Your Word make a difference in our life, God. Lord, do this week after week as we gather together in Your name. Be faithful, Lord. Extend that same mercy that You've extended in every generation to feed Your people with the words of Your mouth. God, we call on You and we love You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, Genesis chapter 2. And we're about to read verses 1 through 3 together. The first three verses of Genesis chapter 2. And if you have your Bible, I want... Everyone that has a Bible to get your eyes on these words. These are the most important words that you will hear in the next hour or so. These are the words straight from God, straight from the Holy One, truth without error. And we're going to read them. We get to read the words of God today. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. So if you've been here the past couple of weeks, we've been walking through the creation account. In Genesis chapter 1, we covered, so far we covered the sixth day of creation, uh, leading up to glorious day seven. And this is what we're going to zone in on this morning. Day seven of creation. Now this is going to be just a few verses of Scripture. Three. But there are some deep, rich themes in these three verses that literally span across the entire Bible. And we're going to dig into one of the major themes in Scripture that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And that theme this morning is rest. There is a theme of rest that runs from the very beginning and to the very end of the Word of God. And I want you to think about this. Why, why would we need, as the people of God, why would we need to lean in and listen to what God would have to say to us about rest? And I'll just say something real similar to what Ryan said this morning. If you remember this, he said, some of you, you've been seeking God all week long and it's been easy for you. And there are some of you that are resting in Jesus Christ and you are resting, you are full of praise in what Christ has done for you in His glorious gospel. Right, But some of us gather together today and there's a war happening in our hearts and in our souls to stir ourselves up to the glory of what Christ has done for us. And so some of us are battling away turmoil on the inside. Okay, And we gather together as the people of God with all kinds of different experiences. And so you need to know something about this theme that runs through Scripture. You need to know something about rest. And we're going to dive into this this morning. Genesis 1 and 2, this is the only glimpse that we get into what human life is intended to be before sin enters the world. This is how God designed His creation to function. This is how God, this is what God intended for you and for me. This is what God intended for mankind. And so we're going to dive in this morning. We're going to talk about a rest that God intended, a rest that was lost at the fall, and a rest that can only be put to back together in Christ Jesus. That's where we're going this morning. This is the heads up. There is a glorious rest available in Jesus Christ. There's a glorious rest available in Jesus Christ. 
The key to you understanding this passage this morning is going to be verse 2. We're going to spend a lot of time in verse 2, but in order for you to understand verse 2, you're going to need to understand verses 1 and verse 3. Okay, That's the context. And so we're going to unpack that whole passage this morning. I want to start with point number 1. If you have it on your outline, if you have a study guide, if you don't, you can just jot these notes down. Point number one, God finished His work of creation. And you see this in verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And so our Bible teaches us that in six days, God made everything. He made all things. He made the heavens, that's a plural, okay? That means He made the universe, He made the earth, and He made the host. And that's everything that fills the earth and all of heaven. He made it all. Later in Exodus 20, verse 11, this is how this verse describes what God has done. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Okay, So let your mind wonder and you say, I wonder if He made that. Yeah, He made that. Six days He made that. Oh, I wonder if He made that. Yep, that too. In six days, He made all things. And the point that verse 1 is driving in is that in six days, He created all things and He completely finished His work of creation. That means it's completely done. There is something that has been accomplished, something that has been finished. God's creation after day six lacked absolutely nothing. This is why one verse back, the end of chapter 1, verse 31, God looks at all that He has made in all of His universe, and He makes a pronouncement over His creation. And He looks at it, and He thinks about it, and He opens His mouth, and He pronounces all that He has made. And He says, that is very good. Up until this point, God has said, that is good. Everything that God has made is good. But when He finishes His work, He pronounces this perfect work as very good. He literally fills the universe by the power of His Word. We talked about that a lot last week. He made all things by the breath of His mouth in six days. This is Genesis chapter 1, the first, the first six days of creation. So I want to give you an example of what God has done in six days to help us wrap our minds around this. Okay, And here's the example. It's one thing for a a master artist to labor tirelessly for years to finish a masterpiece, right? So what I have in mind here is, is take Leonardo da Vinci, his Mona Lisa. I'm not a painting guy. I'm not really that, that deal. But I do know that, hands down, this is the most famous painting on planet Earth, okay? The da Vinci, uh, Mona Lisa's, da, uh, da Vinci's Mona Lisa. Here we go. Took him 14 years to finish this thing. 14 years, and for hundreds of years, humanity literally marvels at what da Vinci has done in 14 years. And then, and then think about this. This thing is 20 inches wide by 30 inches tall. A foot and a half by two and a half feet. Okay, And we stand back with our hand over our mouth. Look at what da Vinci has done in 14 years on a little uh, two square foot page, a canvas. And I want you to compare this to what God has done in creation, okay? It didn't take Him 14 years. God made all things, okay? All things, God made it in six days. And He wasn't working with a canvas 20 inches by 30 inches. 
God made the entire universe. And I'll just remind you of this, that the universe that God has made is so large that we as finite human beings, we have trouble even quantifying how big this thing is. And here's what I mean. We live in a galaxy on planet Earth in a galaxy known as the Milky Way galaxy. And the best guess, the, 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 the best brains in, in the Earth, their best guess of how big this thing is, is that there are 170 billion other galaxies besides us. That's how massive that we're talking about. That's how massive of the canvas that, God, that God's masterpiece of creation is. And He did it in six days. 170 billion galaxies in six days. And He never picked up a brush like Da Vinci to slap it on the canvas. He opened His mouth. And in six days He created all that is. All that is in six days. And you think about the size of the universe and you also think about the complexity and that, that's, that's the analogy, right? That we marvel, humanity marvels of what Da Vinci does in a, on a 20 by 30 canvas. And look what he's done here. Look at this masterpiece. And not only is God's creation absolutely massive, but it is intricate detail, down to the detail. You think about this. Every person that can hear me and understand what I'm saying right now, you have 40 trillion cells in your body. Can you even begin to think about that? Okay? And you talk to some of the medical people in this room, because I can't help you here. 40 trillion cells with these things called electrons flying around, these things called protons and neutrons, and all of them are being held together by the Creator God. 40 trillion of them. Okay? So down to this intricate detail, to, to, to the space in the universe that we can't even fathom, He did it all in six days by the Word of of his mouth, by the word of his mouth. How should we respond to a God like this? Because creation is a demonstration of his power, okay? And I want to say a demonstration of his power because it, it doesn't even begin to show us the depths of his power, it's just a demonstration. Listen to Job chapter 26, verse 14. This is talking about creation. And so you just think about everything that just exploded out of God's mouth in six days. The, end, the ends of the universe down to the intricate detail. And Job 26.14 says this, Behold, these are but the outskirts of His ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of Him, but the thunder of His power, who can understand? Everything that you can imagine that makes you stagger back of God's creative power, that's just the outskirts, that's just the fringes of the power of the Creator God. So how should we respond to what God has done in creation? What would be a right response that we were understanding the first six days of creation rightly? Okay, And I want to show you from God's Word, here's how we are to respond to what God has done in the first six days of creation. Psalm 33 Verses 6 through 9 says this, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be, and He commanded and it stood firm. 
The only right response when we see what God has done with the power and the authority that He has demonstrated is that we, His creatures, we stand in awe of what He's done. By the breath of His mouth, He's created all things. Listen to Revelation 4, verse 11. Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and we're created. And so I'm reminding you this morning that before we ever get to the glorious gospel of Jesus, before we ever get to the story of redemption, the God of the Bible is worthy to be bowed down to and adored and praised just for what He's done in creation. Worthy are You, Lord, for You created all things. You have matchless power. You have matchless authority. And You deserve to be worshipped by Your creatures. Genesis chapter 1. That's a right response to God's creative work. He has finished His work of creation and He deserves our worship. And with this I want to roll right into point number 2. Point number 2. God rests on the seventh day. So God finishes His work of creation and then God rests on the seventh day. And you see this in verse 2. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Now here's why you have to interpret verse 2 in light of verse 1. Okay, Because the, the verse 1 God that we just talked about, the God of power, the God of authority, the God that crea- creates all things by the word of his mouth, he is not tired. He does not need a nap. Okay, He is resting in verse 2. But he is not weary. He is not asleep. His eyes are not closed. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. God is resting in verse 2, but it is not a rest of weariness. He did not... He, he doesn't rest like we rest. We work all day and we come home we like, ah, I'm ready to take a nap. That is not what verse 2 means. That is not the type of rest that God has entered into. It is not a rest of weariness. But neither it is, it's, not a, it's also not a rest of complete inactivity. Okay, When we see that God rests in verse 2, it doesn't mean that He stopped doing all things. Okay? There is something called a deist, and you can go study this a little more, but deists believe in a creator God that in the beginning He creates all things, and He puts the laws of nature in place, and at that point the creator takes His hands off of His creation and He is no longer involved. Christians do not believe in that false God. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is intimately involved in sustaining His creation. Okay, So when we see that God is resting in verse 2, it doesn't mean that He's not doing other things. He is still upholding His universe that He has created. Listen closely. Colossians 1, 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In Him all things hold together. So, not only did He create every cell in your body, He's holding it together. And Hebrews 1.3 says that He's doing this by the word of His power. He upholds the universe 
by the word of His power. So it's, God is resting, but He's not weary. And God is resting, but He's not completely inactive. And what I want to drive in, okay? This rest in verse 2, this is so important for you, for you to get. This rest in verse 2 is God's rest of achievement. It's God's rest of achievement. So there are several different ways you can look at look at rest. We, we can sit down and, and take a nap when we're tired. God doesn't do that. Okay? And we don't do anything else while we're sleeping, but God never slumbers in that way. He's always involved in His creation. But the rest that God enters into is a rest of achievement. And what that means is He stopped working because there was nothing else left to do. He finished the job. There was nothing left to be created. Creation was absolutely perfect. It needed nothing. There was nothing left to be done. And at this point alone, after creation was finished, God rests on the seventh day. It is completely finished. God did not run out of gas. He stopped because He was done in verse 2. Jesus, this, this is an analogy to help you grab this. When Jesus, after His death and His resurrection, He completes the work of redemption. And the last thing He tells us in John 19 on His cross is, it is finished. It is finished. That means that on His cross, Jesus finished something. There was nothing left to be done in regards to the redemption of man, in regards to our salvation. And then the Bible says what? That He's resurrected from the dead, ascends to God's right hand, and then does what? Sits down at the right hand of the Father. And so the, the Word of God pictures Jesus in this state of rest. Why? Because there's nothing else to be done in regards to the redemption of man. It doesn't mean that Jesus is tired. It doesn't mean, oh, you had such a long day, you were crucified and resurrected, you must really need a nap. That's not what that means, right? It doesn't mean that Jesus is inactive in every single way when He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. How do we know that? Because Jesus is intimately involved in our life. Jesus is, is our high priest forever. He is in a continual priestly ministry on behalf of the believer. And so that example of Jesus as a right, at the right hand of the Father resting after His work of redemption, that is exactly what God is doing here in Genesis 1. He finishes His work of creation and then He sets down, He rests in day 7. Now, I want you to pay careful attention to where we're going next. I want you to listen closely, okay? Because there's some things we're about to talk about, this, this rest thing, that they're deeper than what you see on the surface. There's something going down here in the seventh day, okay? And I want you to see the first thing is this. The seventh day is missing an introduction that the other six days have. Every other day in creation account started with this phrase, and God said... Let there be. And God said, let, let there be. And God said, let there be. When you get to day seven, no longer an introduction because you don't need it anymore because creation is finished. So it's unique. It's not like the other six days of creation. Okay, but here's the mind-blowing thing. Not only is the introduction missing, but there's also a conclusion that is missing to day seven. It stands alone as unique in all of God's creation. You say, what do you mean? I mean, if you're reading Genesis 1, and I encourage you to do it, you'll notice that every day of creation ends with this phrase. And there was evening. And there was morning. Day 1. And there was evening. 
and there was morning, day two, and there was evening, and there was morning, day three, day four, day five, day six, evening and morning, day six, day seven, nothing. Absolutely no conclusion to day seven. Now I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to scratch your brain about this. This is one of the most carefully written records in the entire Bible. This is the inspired writing of creation. This is the inspired account of creation. And so I really want you to think about that. If you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and, and the majority of people in this room do believe that. Praise God you do. If you believe that, then what is God saying there? That is intentional that that is missing. It is on purpose that that is not tagged on to the end of day seven. That's not an accident. And so we begin to scratch our brains and say, why? What's, what's happening here? No evening, no morning to end the seventh day. And this is on purpose. Moses intentionally leaves this out for this reason. Okay, I want you to listen close. Listen close. What this means is that there is a sense in which the seventh day of creation doesn't end. Okay? It is an unending day. It is, it is not only a literal day. There were other literal days after that. We know that. Okay? Seventh day is a literal day, but it's also a spiritual reality that never ends. And so the seventh day of creation is inaugurated and it stands as a picture of God's rest. And God's rest never ends. Okay? I want us to see that. This is a picture of the never-ending rest of God. God lives here. It's like He lives in a state of never-ending rest. One writer says that He lives and dwells in an eternal Sabbath. This is what the God of the Bible is like. This is why you never see Him worried. You never see Him in turmoil. In Psalm 2, the rulers of the earth rise up against this God. And you see Him doing what in Psalm 2? He is laughing at all of His enemies. He's never in turmoil. He is always at rest. He, this is what the God of the Bible is like. And so, we're going to think real hard this morning about this unending seventh day of creation. So let's go into point number three. God blessed the seventh day. And you see that in verse 3. It says He blessed the seventh day. So He rested in the seventh day, and then He blessed it. And in the context of Genesis 1, the word blessed, He blessed the animals, He blessed man back in Genesis 1, 27, 28. And in both of those places, it has to do with being spiritually fruitful, with multiplying, with the good of His creation. And so what this means about the seventh day that God blessed is that He is making it a blessing to His creation. So not only is God resting in the seventh day, He is sharing this as a gift to man. Do you see this? It's now becoming a blessing. It's for the good of man. This is what He's doing with this blessing. Now from the rest of Scripture, we're going to see today that God intends for us to receive this rest. Okay? That's the thing that we're going to chase out. That on the seventh day, God wants to call humanity into this rest with Him. And we're going to chase this theme throughout Scripture that that rest was forfeited through sin. And then God calls us back into this rest in Christ Jesus. This is our purpose in this world. God designed us to rest in His finished work. From the very beginning, that is why you, are, you exist as an image bearer of God. God made you to rest in His perfect work, in His finished work. This is a gospel shadow from Genesis chapter 2. Now, 
I want to clear away some of the vagueness of what I just said. I want to put some meat on it. Okay? This is some Bible. I want to show you that this rest theme in Scripture is connected to a temple theme that runs through the entire Word of God. Rest and temple. Acts 7, verse 46. I want you to turn there. Acts 7, verse 46. Turn there if you can. I'm going to read three verses. Picking it up in verse 46, and we'll go through verse 49. It says, David, who found favor in the sight of God, and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? In that passage, David, we know this, that David is seeking to build the Lord a temple in Jerusalem. And you get three synonyms to that temple in what we just read in verse 46. It's called a dwelling place of God. That's what happens in a temple. God dwells there. In verse 47, it's called God's house. And then for our purposes this morning, in verse 49, it's called the place of God's rest. The place of God's rest. God's temple is the place where He rests. Okay? You with me? Now, what I want you to see is that according to the Bible, God's temple is connected with the rest that He wants to share with us. And what this means is that in Genesis 2-2, God is setting up His temple in the Garden of Eden. I want to say that again. In Genesis 2-2, God is setting up His temple in the Garden of Eden. We, we know this from the context of this passage and from the rest of the Bible. It really demands that you interpret this, this, this passage like this. Because the next glimpse you get of God and man in Genesis 2, what's happening? God is walking with man in the Garden of Eden. God is dwelling with man in the Garden of Eden. And so what this means is that God wants to call us into this seventh day. He wants to call us into this rest. And He's going to give us this rest by sharing His presence with us. He's going to come and dwell with us. And we are going to be with Him. This is why we were created. Okay, We were created to be with God and to rest in His finished work. In Ezekiel 28, Eden is described, the Garden of Eden is described with temple type language. I'll read that to you. Ezekiel 28, verse 13. It says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. And so Ezekiel describes Eden with almost verbatim language of what you see the New Jerusalem described as in Revelation 21. These precious stones. Okay, So now we got a line that takes us from the very beginning to the very end of Scripture. That the God of the Bible wants to dwell with us and give us His rest. This is why we are here. You were made for God. 
Your life will never make sense unless you drive this in. You were made not for yourself. You were made for Him. You were not made to rest in your own works. You were made from the very beginning to rest with God in this seventh day, to be with God, to worship God. And so what we see here is that God shares His rest by sharing His presence with us. And then I want to go into point number four, that God made the seventh day holy. God made the seventh day holy. Verse 3 says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. So He made it holy. He rested on the seventh day. The seventh day is given as a blessing to His creation and then He made it holy. When you think about this. Now what makes holy something holy in Scripture is its relationship to God, the Holy One. Okay? That's why shovels in the temple can be holy. They are set apart for His use, for His purpose. Okay? So what makes something holy in Scripture is its relationship to God. And God makes the seventh day holy. He sets it apart for Himself. Everything about this day is supposed to be about Him. That's the day that we were created for. Everything about day seven is holy to Him. And what I want you to see here is that not only does God bless His creation with the seventh day, He gives it a condition. There's a condition to receiving this blessing. It's not just a blessing, it's a blessing and God made it holy. Okay, These things are always connected in the Bible. This is good for you to know that we don't ever disconnect God's blessings from God's condition and demands for holiness. They're always together. Okay? So in order to receive this blessing, you have to meet this condition. Listen to Revelation 20 verse 6. It says, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. They always go together. Blessed and holy. You can't have the blessing without holiness. And this is the picture of the seventh day. And what this means... Okay, let's walk this in of what God designed. If a person is to enter into the blessing of the seventh day, then they must meet the requirement of the seventh day, which is holiness. God made this day holy. He set it apart for Himself. Everything about this day is to be about Him. And so if God's rest in Genesis 2 is a picture of His temple, of His presence, and I believe that it is, then the first thing that we know about the God of the Bible's presence is that He will have no sin in His presence. There will be no sin in the presence of the God of Scripture. From the very beginning, He is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And so if you have read this Bible in in any detail, you know how this plays out. Okay, These are the demands. These are what God intended. And, And for a season, for a small season, God walks with man. In Genesis chapter 2, He is with man. Man is with God. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we have the entrance of sin into this world. That man, instead of serving and worshiping their Creator, man rebels and sins against God. And sin enters the world. Okay, And this condition is defiled. There are several things that happen when sin enters the world in Genesis 3. So let's think through this. Okay, We were designed to be with God. We were designed to walk with Him in the Garden of Eden, in His temple. And after sin comes in, you see that the first thing that happens after the curse is pronounced 
is that man is literally cast out of God's presence. He's literally removed away from the presence of the living God because of sin. Because of sin. Instead of living under God's blessing that we see here in the seventh day, what, what happens to man after sin? Instead of living under God's blessing, he falls under God's curse. He falls under God's curse. Instead of resting in God's finished work, what happens to man? There's a long story of man's attempt to work his way back to God, to, to try to fix this problem and patch up this relationship that's been broken between God and man with good works, with works to, to produce righteousness. And so one of the things that we're going to zone in on that happens in relation to the fall in Genesis chapter 3 is that this rest that we were created for, that, that God desired to call us into, to share with us, we forfeited it. We forfeited it. In Genesis chapter 3, after sin enters into the world, it's sayonara to God's rest. We no longer have it. This is something that God, that God promised us that we forfeited through sin. That's why we live in a world that's not, it's not marked by rest. It's marked by chaos. It's marked by turmoil. Okay? This world is marked by warfare because sin has entered into this world. Okay? But what you see, okay, right after the story of creation in Genesis 3, you see that the story of redemption begins. And that really takes you through the rest of the Bible from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 22. So you have the work of creation and then you enter into the work of redemption. And one of the things that you see in this story of redemption is that the God of creation begins to pursue sinful man. Okay? And he, and he begins to pursue him and he is willed and destined to call sinful man back to himself through the person and the work of Jesus. And so that's, this is why you see this over and over in the Old Testament. God is promising His people rest. He wants to call them back into what they forfeited in the Garden of Eden. Okay? This is the rest theme in Scripture. There's a guy named Blaise Pascal, and here's what he says to sum up what we have here. He says, There was once in man a true happiness where there now remains only emptiness. And then he says, God is our only true good, and since we have forsaken Him, nothing in all of His creation has been able to take His place. We were made for God. We were made for Him. We were made to rest in Him. Once we forfeit this, there is no true peace apart from Him. There is no true rest apart from Him. You can try everything in His creation and it will come up dry. There's nothing else that can satisfy us at the deepest level except our God because we were made for God. So one of the things that happens is that we forfeit this rest in the fall. And then I want to roll into point number five. And this will cover our, our, uh, the rest of our time this morning. That God, the God of redemption, restores this rest through Jesus. Through Jesus. Okay? And the first point that I want to hit before we go there is I want to talk to you about the Sabbath. Okay? Because way too often we read Genesis 2 and the first thing we, we think about is the, is the seventh day of the week where we're not supposed to do anything. That we're supposed to physically rest and go, to, and go worship with God's people. Okay? Genesis chapter 2 says nothing about the Sabbath. It's not there. It is wrong to, to think that way in regards of Genesis chapter 2. So I want to talk to you about the Sabbath. Okay? 
The God of redemption, when He begins to move and to restore this rest that was lost in Eden, several thousand years pass. And then you have this generation led by Moses that was called out of Egypt. Okay? This is God's mighty work. He calls a generation out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. And then, after they come out of Egypt, He inaugurates this covenant. It's called the, the Law of Moses, the Covenant of Moses. And in that covenant, Exodus 16, Exodus 20, that's the first time you ever hear about a human being taking a Sabbath in the Bible. Did you know that? There was no such thing as a Sabbath until Moses. That means that Adam didn't take a Sabbath, Eve didn't take a Sabbath, Abraham didn't take a Sabbath, Isaac didn't take a Sabbath, Israel didn't Sabbath, until they were under the law of Moses. And so I want that to be so clear to you. That the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment of the ten, it was only given to Israel only under the Mosaic covenant. That's it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 called that Sabbath a shadow. It's a shadow that pointed forward to what? To this rest that God was going to restore to His people in Christ Jesus. And what do you do with shadows once the substance arrives? They're set aside. They have... Serve their purpose. Okay? Do you understand that? If Bobby goes out of town and he takes a picture of Stacy with him to remind him of his wife and what he thinks about his wife, and he comes back into town and Stacy says, Hey, it's glad, I'm so glad you're here. It's glad to see you. Bobby doesn't keep walking around looking at the picture. Oh, I just miss you so much. I'm so thankful for you. Okay? She is here. The substance is here. No need for the picture anymore because the person is right there. That's why the Sabbath is put away by the work of Jesus forever. Okay? This is not for the people of God. It was only given for Israel, only under the law of Moses. That's it. Okay? And then what happens? And then God sends the Redeemer. And Jesus comes. Okay? And, and just like that work of, of creation was finished, Jesus comes and He finishes this work of redemption, this work that we've been tracing from Genesis chapter 3. And He comes and He finishes it with His death and His resurrection. He perfectly finishes this work. And on the basis of what Jesus has done, on the basis of His death, on the basis of His resurrection from this place of rest at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ can look out to us on the basis of His death and He can offer us the restoration of this rest that we forfeited in the Garden of Eden, that we forfeited from the very beginning. And so I want you to see this. I want you to see this theme in Scripture that Jesus really does. He is really calling us back in to this sense of completion, this sense of a, a work has been finished for us. Listen to Matthew chapter 11, Verse 28 through 30, this is from the mouth of Jesus Himself. And I want you to hear this as though He were talking to you. He says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. That is the call for us to respond to what Jesus has done. He calls us to come and find rest in Him and what He has done for us. 
He just connected what He did at the cross to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2. Do you see that? Every single stream in the Bible, doesn't it seem like this? Every single one just leads us to Christ and to what He's done for us and to worshiping Him. And this is the reminder for us today, okay? This is why the entire Bible is about Jesus. And so what this means for us in this room this morning, because of what Jesus has done on His cross, there is a rest available for you. There's a rest available for you. Listen to Hebrews 4. Verse 9, it says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It is a present reality for us as the church. That verse is not about what Christians should or should not do on the day that they worship. That verse is not about should we keep the Sabbath, should we keep the Lord's Day. That verse has nothing to do with that. That verse is about God restoring what was lost in Genesis 3. It's about Him calling us back into this rest, this seventh day with Him. This is the Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. Do you see the glory of what Jesus has done for us? Everything that was lost, He has put back together through His cross, through His work on our behalf. Real rest. Now, let's, let's think about this. There's a Sabbath rest available for us. Rest, God is not promising you a nap, okay? Way too often conversations about rest in Scripture become conversations about how to better take care of yourself. That is not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about you worked real hard, you need to go home this afternoon, and you need to take a nap. That's not what we're saying. Okay? God has not promised you a nap, but He's promised you rest. And what that means is that we don't just go sit and do nothing as believers. It's not a rest of inactivity in a complete sense. Just like God rested on the seventh day. What He is promising us, this is glorious, this is glorious. What God is promising you today through the work of Jesus is that you can enter into this state with God that this deep sense in your soul that something has been finished for me. Something has been finished for me. This is soul rest. This deep satisfaction that the most ultimate thing in the universe is done on my behalf. Is done. This is the rest that God has offered us. This is important for us to learn, okay? In, in Genesis, God's design and God's pattern is that we would rest in Him before we ever labor for Him. You need to hear that. As Christians, yes, we are supposed to be doing things for Jesus. But we don't do things out of this state of inner turmoil and anxiety, we labor for the Lord and we work for the Lord Jesus while we rest in His finished work. And so you think about this. The first, if, if, if the days of creation correspond, you just test this out. If the days of creation correspond to our modern days, that means that Adam was created on a Friday. And that the first morning that he woke up on planet earth, this sinless, beautiful planet earth, that he woke up on God's Sabbath, on God's day of rest, and God's picture that we see there is that from the very beginning Adam was to go forth and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth while he rested in the finished work of his God that's the type of thing that Jesus offers us through his finished work there's a man named Augustine anybody ever heard of him a man named Augustine and he learned about this rest that was available in Christ and he's a church leader in the in the fourth century and this man, 
He was driven to complete despair before he was converted to Christ. And he was a pagan in the, in the truest sense of the word. He worshipped false gods. He was involved with stealing things. He was heavily involved with sexual immorality and worshipping false gods. And he was driven to despair in his idolatry. He drank from the cup of this world and he was disturbed. He was suicidal even. After his conversion, he wrote a book, a popular book called Confessions. And these are a record of his prayers to God. And I want to read one of them to you. It's probably the most famous line out of this book. This man learned something about this rest that we're talking about today. He said this to God. He said, You have made us for Yourself. You have made us for Yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in You. And so what he discovered is that I was made for God and every other thing that I've tried to replace God with in my life has left me empty. And I have this restless heart that I only find rest in Jesus. And so the truth, this is the truth from God's Word. That there is no rest. Deep, true soul rest. There is no nothing in all of creation that can calm this turmoil on the inside of man other than the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. This is the only thing that can fix the problem. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says this, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient path where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. The ancient path rests for your souls. And so here's the encouragement to you this morning. From the very beginning, God designed us to rest in His finished work. That's the ancient path. You want rest for your souls? You have to learn how to rest in the finished work of God. Now, back in Hebrews, we know that the only way that we receive this promise that we enter into this rest is through faith. That's the way that we become the people of God. That's the way that we receive this promise. So I want to read Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. Listen close. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And so these glorious promises that were taken out of God's Word and we're holding them, we're looking at the beauty of them like these beautiful diamonds, these beautiful promises, and we're holding them out to you. And what that verse just said is they're worthless to you unless you believe the Gospel. The only way for you to receive what Jesus has done for you is for you to repent of your sins and for you to trust in Christ. That's it. That's it. And so I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but the call for you today is, that, is a call for you to stop working for your salvation. From the very beginning, this is a death trap in God's Word. It will end in certain death. And God does command you to stop working for your salvation. You cannot work and be saved. You can't. You can't. But the good news of the Gospel, listen to this. You can't work to be saved. It will end in certain death. But the God of Scripture commands that you rest in the finished work of Christ by faith. That you receive this free gift. That you rest in the perfect work of Jesus and what He's done for you from the very beginning. If you have never believed this Gospel, 
God commands you to do this. This is the response that God commands of you. That you cease striving. That's repentance. Stop trying to earn your way to God and that you receive this free gift. Do you know how simple this is? But do you know how confused that, that people can get in regards to, to the gospel response? Okay, we, we have people in this church that for years, for years, they took this simple gospel response and they thought, but there's got to be something I have to do. It just does not make sense in light of how simple that is. There is nothing that you can do. Why? Why? Because it's a perfect finished work of Jesus. There's nothing that you can add to it. If you added to it, you would mess it up. This is a perfect work that all you can do, all you can do with what Jesus has done for you is rest in what He has done. That's it. That's it. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15 says, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. So, by definition, what is a Christian? A Christian is one who rests in Christ by faith. They don't rest in their own works. They rest in what Jesus has done for him or them. Now, I don't know everybody in this room, but I know most people in this room are Christians. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I love you. Okay, And we are in Jesus together. And what that means for us is that we can look at one another and we can celebrate these things. Our God has given us a Sabbath rest that we, through the work of Jesus, we have entered into the rest of the living God Himself. Okay, The rest that God rested, He shared with us. And we have this perfect rest because of what Jesus has done for us. But I want to talk to you a minute about the battle that we're in. Okay, We have entered this rest. It is a reality in our life. Every believer in this room, you know something in your soul of it is finished on your behalf. You know something of that if you're in Christ. But you also know that you wake up in a world and a battle rages at times. It can rage for our confidence in Christ and our rest in Christ. And you know as a Christian that you can wake up in this world and you can be in turmoil within Okay, And so I want to show you this, that the rest that we enter into right now, we enter into it in varying degrees, but it's in direct proportion to our faith. Okay, it's The rest that we can have now as believers is in direct proportion to our confidence in Jesus, our trust in God. And what that means, if you're a believer in this room and you walk in unbelief to the God of Scripture, you can Take it to the bank that there's going to be turmoil in your soul. Because the only way to enter this rest is through faith, is through trust. And so what this means, I'm encouraging you this morning. I'm encouraging you to fight the fight of faith. Okay, That you would go to war in your soul for confidence in Jesus. To believe the gospel. That you would rest in Christ. That you wouldn't go days, weeks, months on this earth with turmoil within. Forgetting the gospel bored with what Jesus has done for you. And this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is stirring them up to do in Hebrews chapter 4. Listen to Hebrews 4.11. He says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Isn't that a paradox? Like I thought we were resting. What's this striving thing about? And this striving is this fight of faith, this war within to where we go to war to believe God, to fight to believe God. So here's God's promise for every Christian in the room today. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep Him 
and perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. It's directly proportionate to your trust in Christ. We have to go to war to believe God. And then the final reminder I want to give to you today is for us in Christ. We have entered into this rest in Jesus and we're presently entering into this rest that we have. But there's coming a day where this war is going to stop and we are going to rest in our God forever. Thousands upon thousands of ages we will rest in Him. And there will be no sin and there will be no death. And here's what God's Word says in Revelation 14, 13, 14. This is the promise for us this morning. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. This is our inheritance in Jesus, that there's coming a day where the battle stops, the war stops, the mission is over, and we forever rest in our God. And none of us deserve any of it. This is the free grace of God that He's given to us in Christ. So this is the picture of the glorious seventh day of creation. The day that God rested. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would encourage us with Your words this morning. God, we pray, God, that You would push away distractions or whatever would come into our lives, Lord. The worries of this world, things that would cause us not to receive Your truth, things that would cause us not to receive Your Word. God, we pray that You push them out with Your power and Your authority. And I pray, God, for my brothers and sisters here this morning that You would encourage them. That You would encourage all of us, Lord. Help us to honor You, Lord Jesus, by resting in You. Help us, Lord, to honor what You have done for us. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters walking through very difficult seasons, God. And I just pray for them, Lord. I pray that You would stand by Your Word. Your promise that there is a rest available at the deepest part of their soul. And I pray, God, that You'd stand by Your Word and that You'd make it true in their life. God, that You would call them into this glorious rest with You. Can't be explained by circumstances, only by what You have done for us. God, we pray for this church. God, we pray that You would make us a people that never depart from the Gospel, that never move away from what You have done for us. God, thank You for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name, Amen.